Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Oh, thank you. Wow, what a, uh, what a privilege to be here. And John, very, very kind uh, introduction. He and Mel are, as you already know, uh, very, very special people. And Aaron and Audrey, uh, we came from where we all got to work together for a great season, so it's a thrill to be here. I've walked all around and checked out your church and met lots of people, and uh, God is doing a really exciting work here. I, I like to start a little bit differently. I, I caught just um, a quick blurb before I came, and uh, there's been another shooting in Nebraska. We have Oklahoma. It's happened in Texas. It's happened in Virginia. Malls, schools, there are... Um, People in such pain, such loss. Um, could we just pause together before we get into God's word and just lament for just a moment and say, Almighty God, will you please be merciful to these families? Probably only a few in this room could fathom what it's like to lose a child, a brother, a sister, a friend, a mom, a dad, and Lord, the anarchy, the disrespect for life, the um, lack of truth, all those things that are contrary to why you came and making us in your image and how much you love us. So would you pour out your mercy and your compassion and in your great sovereignty, would you show us what part we might play in restoring truth and righteousness and love back to uh, our communities? our workplaces, and our neighborhoods. Father, you have told us what you require of us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with you. May we, uh, may we be followers of Jesus that really are the light of the world in a very, very powerful and good way. In Christ's name. I just felt in all that's happening, we just had to pause, and I'm going to just suggest that there might be two things that rather than walking away and having conversations that we're all going to have, like how could this happen, and these things are terrible, and what's happening in our world, and our country, I'd like to suggest that you, not someone else, but every one of you, whether you're 12, 13, or 92, there are two things the early church had in common. They were people that were filled with gratitude in the midst of incredibly difficult circumstances. They held forth the word of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. They chose to give thanks in all things and for all things in light of God's character and his confidence that he's going to work somehow all things for good. And that, that creates a different kind of personality, a different kind of attitude, and different kind of words. The second thing they did 80% of the early church were slaves, and yet they were the most generous people with their time and their money. They were people like Jesus who gave. And I want to talk about the genius of generosity. And um, when I grew up, I felt like, you know, being generous was something for really rich people or really holy people. 
You know, like Billy Graham and Mother Teresa can be generous. You know, they know God. And, and people that are super rich, they can be generous. But I met a man named John Savile in the very first church that I pastored out in rural Texas. Instead of a mega church, it was a mini church. There was 35 people. It was in a town of about 3,000. Well, they said 3,000, but it didn't have a stoplight. Uh, all the trucks had a, had a gun in the back. It was a very different environment from a kid who grew up in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, there was an older, 70-plus back then, was like super old when you're 28, a bit kooky guy who was the chairman of the elders. And, and I later learned of the 35 people, about 34 of them were related. <laughs> it was the baptism of fire as a pastor. They taught me how to be a pastor. And I want to tell you a story about John, and, and I'm going I'm to tell you on the front end, I'm going to tell you where we're going to land the plane. Because I don't want you to listen to, that's a nice story, or um, I wish John was here, but I guess Chip's okay. That's, I, I've been doing this for a while. I know how people think. Um, and I'm going to actually uh, teach the better part of the first chapter of this tiny book and even before I begin, I'd like you to ponder um, reading the next three chapters. It, for some of you, it would take less than a half hour, maybe 45 minutes max. But it will talk about what generosity looks like and the pivotal part, how it will change your heart and change everyone around you. And it's not original for me. It's just from what I've learned from the Lord and especially from John. So imagine, if you will, a 70-plus-year-old guy, have nothing in common with John. He's the chairman of the elders. It's this little rural town outside of Mega Dallas. And I would learn very quickly that all the people that started a Bible study and they wanted to have a church out in this rural area like the good churches were in Dallas. And pretty soon I found out that most of them were actually very affluent and they owned businesses and they wanted their kids to be raised a little bit outside of Dallas. So I get a call after about a year and I think John feels like maybe he can trust this young, zealous, little over-the-top pastor. He says, come down to Dallas. Uh, we're going to have lunch together. I want to talk to you about something. He's the chairman of the board, so you go. And you have to wear a tie to get into this place. And so it's 100 degrees. It's Dallas. I have an unair-conditioned car. I have one sport coat. I'm soaking wet by the time I get down there. I walk into a building that's all glass that's about, I don't know, 40, 50 stories high. I walk in, you know, 34 floors and mahogany wood, and John actually owned Savile Dodge and CPA. And we get in the elevator, and, and John, we go all the way up to the top, and when we walk out, it's all glass, and you can see all of Dallas, and it's a restaurant. And we sit down, and um, it was new for me. I grew up, my parents were school teachers, and uh, we didn't have a lot. Uh, I don't think we were poor, but we didn't have a lot, but I'd never been in a place like this. And they gave you a menu, and in my world, when you get a menu, you open it up and you look at the right to see how much it costs to find out what you can get. It's the first menu. There, there were no prices. I said, John, I don't know what to get because how much does it cost? And he smiled. He goes, if you have to worry about how much it costs, you don't come to places like this. Get the filet chip. You'll love it. And, and this guy, I just have to say, he, uh, he had gone broke a couple times. He came to Christ late. Uh, he visited a maximum security prison once a month. He had a passion for the hurting people, and he'd become very wealthy on this third round, and he so wanted to help people, and he didn't care what anyone thought. So when he heard something good, like a story that I would tell him, 
in this very exclusive place, John would do this. Ah, praise the Lord. And I, you know, I'm 28. I'm trying to be cool. I'm pretty hip, actually. So I think. And I would want to hide under the table like, who is this old crazy coot? I mean, that is so uncool. And so, uh, John, uh, we get done with our, our lunch. And he takes a little box and he puts, puts it in front of me. He says, I have a proposition for you. In fact, I've put it in your notes, and if you haven't pulled out your notes, you might. And if you don't have a pen, bring one next week. But if you have one, pull it out now. I really believe in thinking, writing, pulling notes out. And uh, John said, I have a desire. I've been through a lot, and I've had a lot of pain. And there's people that are poor and hurting in our area like never before. We lived out in a rural area, and the education, we were in the bottom 5% of education in Texas. And at the time, Texas was 48th out of 50 states in educational quality, if that tells you anything. He says, uh, you have an opportunity. You're a, you're a young pastor with a lot of energy, and you interact with these people all the time. And I have a deal that I'd like to make with you, and I, you have to keep it a secret. You can tell your wife. And he pushed this little white box in front of me. I opened it up, and, and, and there was a checkbook in it. And it said, Pastor's Discretionary Fund. He said, turn to the back. I turned to the back, and for me, especially then, it was like, are you kidding? It had a five, zero, zero, zero. There were $5,000 in this checkbook. He says, here's what I want you to do. If you, I want you to pray about it. I want you to take this checkbook, and I want you to put it in your back pocket every day. And I want you to walk around everywhere you are, and any person you see that has a need that you think Jesus wants to help or you think I would want to help, I want you to help them in Jesus' name. And then I'm going to ask you to come back in three, four months, and we're going to have another lunch just like this, and I want you to tell me what you did with the money, and we're going to have a blast. And so I went home like, okay, I'm, I don't want to mess up. And, and then it was like, okay, he really wants me to do this, so I did it. So I got this thing, put the checkbook in my back pocket, and I'm like, every day I'm thinking, I wonder what John wants to do. I wonder what Jesus wants to do. I'm like, I got money. I, I got money to help people. And once I got over the fear, it was like, I'm going to make this fun. And I'll never forget the first time that I could tell you, I mean, scores of stories. I, w I went into the little grocery store. You know, I can't remember, Kroger, Safeway, whatever it was back then. And a lady was checking out, and I, I had just checked out, and she was behind me and had a crying child, you know, sitting, and a toddler and one a little bit older. And she was taking things out of the basket. You've seen this, right? She can't pay for it, so she's taking out what she can pay for. And the Spirit of God goes, Chip. Here's your first shot. So I walked over, and it's a very uh, complicated story, but I would learn within about five minutes that her husband had abandoned her, took the good car, emptied their bank account. She had no money. She was in tears, and she came and tried to figure out, how am I going to take care of these three kids? After a five-minute conversation, I said, you need a lot more than this, don't you? And she goes, oh, I couldn't. I said, believe me, you can. I said, Jesus sent me here. It was true. And I said, he, he wants to help you today. Well, no, no, no. I mean, he really wants to. This is, I mean, believe me. Couldn't tell her all. I, he wants to help you. I said, let's do this. So I'm walking around, and I'm going down all these different aisles, you know. Put that in. Put that in. Man, we filled that basket. And I said, don't your kids, yeah, they'll need that. Well, do you have formula? Yeah, what about diapers, you know. We just piled this thing in, and. Yeah. <clears throat> 
take care of that. And she looked at me and tears streaming down her face. I had a joy that it's hard to express. And then we, we got her all there, and I got to share with her how much Jesus cared about her and, and that he was going to guide her. And, and I happened to know someone very close to me that was abandoned by her husband uh, before she was a Christian that I later got to marry and to say that there, there's hope. And um, she got in the car, and, you know, her face fell. And God prompted me. I said, you don't have enough gas. You're going to go to your mom's to sort of recover, aren't you? Yeah. You need gas, don't you? Yeah. Pull over to the 7-Eleven. Well, now I wrote my second check. Man, oh, man, this is, this is like, hey, man, I can't wait to tell John. This is so fun. And all I can tell you is, um, oh, the gal that was on her way to the abortion clinic. And I wrote a check because she thought she couldn't afford the baby. And there's a baby alive because of John and my pastor's discretionary fund and the family that it was super cold and the electricity went out and I paid their electric bill. Did you, did you hear that? I paid it. I was the PVC conduit, and I just, every day I got up, three things happened. Are you ready for this? Every day, here's a guy who doesn't like sports. He's an accountant, right, numbers guy. I'm this jock trying to be cool. He's very uncool. He says, praise the Lord a lot, drives a car with a sticker on the back that says, I'm a fool for Jesus. Whose fool are you? John, really? <laughs> he was just out there. And he was the most kind and godly man to that point in my life I'd ever met. And I found myself thinking about John Saville every single day because I was asking myself, John, what do you want to, who do you want to help today in Jesus' name? The second thing that happened was a little unusual is uh, some of you are very diligent. Um, if you've met Audrey here, Williams, she is super diligent. She never misses a beat on details. I, my wife is the same way. I'm not. So, you know, as a single guy, you know, I'd get a bank statement. I didn't have much money anyway. If, if it was within 20 bucks, you know, my, my checkbook says this. By the way, there was a day when people used checkbooks. Think, think debit card, you know? Okay. So if it was within 20, 30 bucks, it'll take me two hours to figure it out. I, the bank's probably right. Well, that's good with your own money. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this checkbook to a CPA who owns the firm, who has $5,000. And I think we're within a couple hundred bucks, John. You're okay with that, right? Heck no, man. I made sure it was exactly right. Then, honey, would you add this up to make sure it's okay? I'm going to go see John later this afternoon. So I took better care of his money than my own. And the third thing that happened is John and I became best friends. There's something about money and stewardship and celebrations that cause you to, to connect your heart. And pretty soon, our, our lunches weren't just about me telling stories. John, I'm really having a struggle in my marriage. Instead of being kooky, what are you, 74? And what, what do you, how do you handle this? And You know, John, I got, I got to adopt these two little twin boys, and we're making a lot of progress, but I just feel like I'm doing a lousy job. I, I don't really know how to be a very good dad. John, you know, uh, the church is, is making progress, but I, and John became this kooky, 70-year-old crazy guy, became one of the closest friends I ever had because I was his money manager, and I learned what was on his heart, 
And, and, and it wasn't like obligation or what did you do with the money. It was the greatest joy I ever experienced spending someone else's money. And, and the lunches, this was not like, it was like, you want the filet or I hear they have some lobster tails. I never had a lobster tail in my life. Sure, John, let's go. And we would laugh and then pretty soon I would tell him a story and there's all these sophisticated people and, and I'm thinking, here it comes. Praise the Lord. And you know what? I got where I didn't give a rip either. Um, it was probably 10 years later. Had, I was in my office and I put my feet up and I was doing a series on stewardship and generosity. And I was thinking, Lord, I need a great illustration. People don't get it. I didn't get it. It was all about obligation and what your percentage is and this and that and I know from the statistics that over half the people in our church and half the people in every church in America in Bible-believing churches, half of them don't give anything, zero. I, I also know that all across America, Lord, I mean, you know, I get it. You know, I, I love it the same way. You know, less than 3% of all evangelical believers tithe. No wonder we got problems. Not, not just in ministry, but if money reveals people's hearts and they're holding on to it. That means they don't trust you. That means they're fearful. So I need to teach him. But, you know, that stuff about, are you giving 10% or not? I don't think that really flies very well. You can make people feel guilty, I guess, and they can, you know, amp it up a little bit. But it's about the heart. And God brought John to mind. And I'll never forget. He said, Chip, do you remember what joy you had spending John's money that I gave him? Yeah. If people could ever get that what you did for John is what I do for you and I as their heavenly father want to do for them. If my people would ever wake up and realize, what do, you, what do you want to do with the money that you gave me today? What do you want to do with the talent you gave me today? God, you know, I'm, I'm guessing I got about 24 hours like everyone else. What do you want to do and take some of my time to be generous and loving and giving and kind because that's how people's hearts get filled and... That's how the world gets changed. If you open your notes, I want to give you four specific reasons of why it's genius to be generous. The word genius, obviously, right? Someone who's super intelligent, uh, someone who can do something like few other people. Uh, the word uh, generosity is a very interesting word. The root word means someone of a noble birth. If you were a king or a prince, you had a responsibility because you were given so much to share with others and take care of the people in your kingdom. In Hebrew, the word means to flow to overflowing. In Greek, the word means freely and gladly to distribute. The first reason that we're going to learn that it's genius is because of what it does for us personally. The big idea I want you to get is if you would like to be a smart Christian, then spend your money carefully. If you'd like to be a wise Christian, save your money regularly. And if you want to be a genius Christian, give your money and life extravagantly. Why? Reason number one, generosity enriches our lives. In Acts 20, verse 35, we get the last words of Jesus. Did you know the last words of Jesus don't come out of the Gospels? It's quoted here in Acts and at the very end of that passage, he says, now remember the words of the Lord Jesus who said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, there's a wholeness, there's a blessing, there's a joy. You can even translate the word, happy people are people who are generous. Solomon put it another way. 
in uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. He said, a generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes, literally waters others, will himself be watered. Um, I don't know if you've, uh, you know, met people who are miserly, who are stingy, who when you go out to lunch, you know, they sort of, you know, they pull the, oh, oh, do you want me to pay? But you realize what they're doing is, oh, no, I will. They, okay, okay, thank you very much. Or people that, hey, can you give me a hand? Oh, I really wish I could. I'm just really busy right now. People that are miserly, same root word, are miserable. The outside research about people with gratitude, and especially those who are generous, generous people are happier. Generous people live longer. Generous people have lower blood pressure. Generous people have more friends. Generous people have emotional health. Generous, it's amazing. In other words, if... If there wasn't a Bible and Jesus didn't say it, really smart people would be generous because what it does for you intellectually, what it does relationally, what it does physically, and what it does emotionally, and stupid people would be selfish and miserly. So I have a question for you before we get into the Bible. I like all the really stupid people to line up on that wall and all the really smart people to line up on that wall. Second reason Generosity does something that few things do. It connects us with other people. In a non, uh, pastors usually quote this as a financial passage, and I'm sure I've been guilty as well, and it applies to finances, but Luke 6.38 is not a financial passage. It says, give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over back into your lap. For with whatever measure, it's the idea with a small scoop or with, or with a, a can size or, or with a, a, a pickup truck load or with a, a, a U-Haul 18-wheeler load, whatever measure in whatever size that you are generous and giving to other people in the same way, it'll come back to you. And if you've ever tried to make room for something, it's this idea God is abundant. He wants to lavish. When you give away your time, God will multiply your time. When you give away your money, God will multiply your money. He, he, he wants us to be streams. He's looking for peoples whose hearts are fully his so that as he deposited, like John gave me that checkbook, that my, my, my attitude changed. I was looking for people to help. I'd like to say before that, I was open if someone needed something. But that was different than I got up every day looking for who could I give some money to? What need could I make? And you know, you know who changed the most? I'm glad for the lady. I'm glad for that child. I could give you probably a hundred stories. I changed the most. My emotional perspective, my joy level, the, the people that I connected with. When you're generous, you connect hearts. Um, I have four kids. They're all grown now. But when I uh, pastored in my early years, uh, you know, they were all at home. I was committed to eating as a family. That means at 5.30 I was going to be home. Uh, they had sports like everybody does and all that kind of stuff. And I landed in a place where it was the hand of God. I have no explanation for it other than a lot of broken people in Santa Cruz, California. And I just was me and my wife was her. And thousands of people started showing up. And then some business guy, we're doing five services a weekend. And some guy wanted to put it on the radio. I said, not me, man. I, I don't. And this businessman said, could I put it on? I said, you can do whatever you want, brother. He says, well, we're out of room. I said, if, if that helps, that's great. 
So God launched all that. But it was during that time, I was worn out. And so uh, I just the only way I can eat dinner and be a father and a husband I'm supposed to be, I, I mean, I went to bed like at 9 o'clock. I got up at 4. I was at the, uh, it was a little donut shop that made bagels, and they would start cooking early. And there was a, a little family I got to know. And so by 4.30, I'm at the donut shop, and 4.30 to about 8, 8.30, I'm going to study and work on only the things I can do, sermon preparation. And so if you've ever been to one of those donut shops, and, you know, I was the first one there, and pretty soon we're friends, and they make nice French roast coffee for me, and Angel, it was, it was a whole Cambodian family, and I got to learn a whole new culture. And, and as I would come in, then there's a 6 o'clock, you know, a guy came in every day, and then there's a group of people that sit in the corner, and they talk about certain things, and just different groups would come in. But there was one guy, he was a homeless guy, uh, looked like, I mean, if you have people that have done really hard drugs, I don't know if you, you can see it etched in their face, had not bathed, I'm sure. Uh, I saw him sleeping out next to the 7-Eleven. Um, and he would come in and sit. And all I can say is he was scary. Have you ever walked by someone and thought, they're scary? And he would come and sit in the table, just one table here and a table there, and he would just stare. And sometimes he would have a little something, and sometimes he wouldn't order anything, and little angel was not about to ask him, <laughs> are you going to order something? It was like, whoa. And so, you know, hey, how you doing? Get nothing, you know. So anyway, God was teaching me about this, so I thought, okay. I said, hey, can I get you a cup of coffee? And then I thought, okay, Lord, you know what? Okay, angel, can I get a cup of coffee? Get me one of those cinnamon bagels and slice it in half, put a little butter on it. Hey, excuse me, sir. I mean, I didn't even get this. I didn't get a nod. Okay, Lord, I, I tried. Get back, sit behind him. Felt like about an hour, but it was probably five minutes of silence, and I'm back, and I hear this voice. You see that star? It's him. He said, look, there was a a big window, and of course it was dark. He said, do you realize right now that Mars and Venus aligns just like that, and that's why it's so bright? I'm thinking, who is this guy? I walked over and said, excuse me, are you talking to me? He said, yeah. I went around, I sat down, and said, what's your name? Mike. Mike told me a story. He wasn't a dumb homeless person. He was actually brilliant. He had some really bad betrayal that happened to him. He had an incident that his kids were taken away from him at one point. He uh, got in a little trouble with the law. He had a drug issue and spent a little time in jail and And now there was nobody, no friends, no hope, no anything. And you know what? Mike and I became friends. Mike and I started talking. Uh, That was 20, I I figured it out last night. Um, That was 24 years ago. Two months ago, I got a text from Mike just letting me know how he's doing. Mike and I have been friends ever since. In fact, he had a, a little, little run-in, didn't keep some sort of parole or something, and a social worker said, could you write a recommendation for Mike, tell people that he's not dangerous, and, can, and I did, and he spent just a little bit of time. Can you imagine what would happen? Look at the number of people in this room and those at the other campus. Can you imagine, just imagine what would happen if we would be generous and allow us to connect with people that aren't like us? people that are poorer or richer, people of a different color, people that are either techie or athletic and you're not, people that are musical, people that 
are you ready, who vote differently than you? Can you imagine if instead of hating them, you realize there's no them anywhere. There's only people, and they're individuals. And you are prejudiced, and I am prejudiced. And when you begin to be generous, it breaks down the walls. The third reason is, is very theological, and it's way more important. The first two are really good things. The next two are straight from the very mouth of Jesus and Jesus would, would speak to us, and he says, generosity protects us from bad investments. As I, as I walk through this passage, I'm going to do a very brief Bible study, and you'll have this study in the book. But I want you, as I'm going to read it, I want you to just listen for, here's a group of people, and Jesus is now going to explain about money. And you've now been following as a disciple, and he's talked a little bit about heaven, he's talked a little bit about hell, but you can't quite figure out because you're, you're Matthew, and you do the math because you taxes, and you realize that of all the things Jesus talks about, he's talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. And you wonder why. And so this is his core teaching, and he'll start with a negative command, and then right after that, there'll be a positive command, and then that will be followed by a purpose clause that will say, this is why I gave you the positive and the negative command. Then he'll give an explanation about the human heart and how life works and how there's this, there's this connection between our hearts, our attitudes, our worldview, and our perspective, and that we are constantly pulled between Jesus' goal and agenda and wonderful things for our lives and money or mammon and its promise. We all long for happiness, success, significance, security. We're human. And money says, this is how to get it. And Jesus says, no, this is how to get it. Money says, use people to get things. And Jesus says, no, 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 use things to love people. And so follow along. You're going to see two treasures. You're going to see two eyes and two masters. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Will you circle for yourselves twice? This command isn't some moral issue out there. This is for you. This is for me. Store up for yourselves. Bad investments are one that you put a lot of time and energy into and they don't have a good return. There's a lot of people that were doing great. We had a pandemic. They're out of business. There's some who saw Bitcoin as, man, this is the next great thing, and it doesn't look real good right now. He says it's not wrong to invest in different things. He says, but just be very careful. After you give first and foremost to the Lord, after you wisely save, as we're taught to, as you invest in ways in order to take care of the future, he says, don't store up for yourselves. Don't get security-minded. Don't be scarcity-minded. What you need to do is make sure that you're storing up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Are you ready for this? Jesus actually, unlike most Christians, believes there's actually a heaven. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And that how we live our time on this earth will have a direct correlation to the quality of our life in heaven. We are forgiven for our sins, and that is freely and completely by grace. But according to 1 Corinthians 3, we will give an account for our works. 
and there will be rewards of various levels. And Jesus said, store up for yourselves forever and ever and ever. And then here's the reason. What's he say? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know your genuine relationship with Jesus, how much you love him, the clearest, the MRI, the x-ray, the CAT scan is not how loud you sing, not whether you raise your hands or don't raise your hands, not whether you come twice a month, once a month, or four times a month. Just open up your financial statement and look where your money goes. This, by the way, you know, boy, it's got Solomon here in just a minute. I mean, if it goes after you've paid your bills to stuff and fun and pleasure and this and that and lattes and mochas and music and streaming and concerts, if, if you have room for all that, great. God wants us to enjoy what he's given us. But if those things are happening in the first portion of your money and you're not generous toward the poor, if you're not generous to meeting the needs of others, Jesus would say, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart really is. And so this is a warning. He wants us to land well. He wants the best. He wants us to have joy, not a quick happiness or a quick hit that we get from binging this series. Has anyone sat in front of a TV for six or seven hours and got up and, th- and, got up and said, man, man, do I feel good. I just, man, I feel refreshed. I feel like I really want to help people. There's just, there's just nothing like watching series after series after series after Caesar. And, and they don't let you out, right? You know, you watch it, and they leave you cliffhanging. The next one starts in three seconds. Well, oh, here we go. <laughs> but how do you feel after you do a workout? How do you do after you serve someone? What's, what's, it, what's it feel like when... You don't really want to, but the Spirit's nudging you to, and you, you overrule that sort of selfish side of you and me, and you act in some way, and then the Holy Spirit floods your heart with, I've never regretted giving my time or my money or my energy away to other people. I've never gone, man alive, I wish I wouldn't help that poor person. <laughs> Boy, that changed. That, that was a bummer. I'm sick and tired of the joy that comes with that. Notice He says, generosity frees us from the dark side of money. I think we unconsciously think that money is neutral. It is not. I read an article just last week that was really powerful. It was a a theological article, and and the guy was just making the point that, do, do you understand that when they translated the New Testament, and despite all the kind of different ways that we translate things, they didn't change the word mammon. Could, they could have, our new translations, we say, you know, money. But the Aramaic for mammon, it was because it wasn't just a force or a factor, it has a personality. Money changes us. It, there, it's not like there's God and Satan. According to Jesus, there's two gods, me and money. What Satan does, he uses money, our perverted desires and a world system to get us to believe that money is the God that can deliver what we really want. And Jesus says, you know what, I've got nothing against money itself, but it's something that I entrust to you. Are you ready for this? It's not yours. Really? The earth is mine and all thereof. 
You, that, that checkbook filled with $5,000, it was not mine. It was John's. Now, I, I remember going through a rough time, and I couldn't, I didn't get paid very much in that little church, and I couldn't pay my rent, and I actually called John. I said, John, I found someone in need, but it's a little awkward. <laughs> I, said, I said, I really appreciate you doing this, but, you know, I got four kids, and they're all really small, and we had this emergency medical bill, and... and could I write a check to myself for a couple hundred dollars so I could pay my rent? Praise the Lord. God, God's not trying to keep something from you. He's trying to make sure you don't get some stuff that will just ruin your life. Notice the dark side. He says the lamp of the body is the eye. If your eyes are healthy, put a box around healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, put a box around unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then another with these purpose clause, conditional clauses. If then the light within you is darkness, little oxymoron. In other words, what you think is true, what you think is light, is really not light. It's wrong. It's blurred. How great is the darkness? The, the word for unhealthy, uh, a lot of translations, if your eye is good, uh, the word is haplos. It means singular, liberal, or generous. And the word for unhealthy is poneros. It means if, you, if your eye is evil, this word poneros describes Satan. Uh, in the idiom of the day, it was to have an evil eye would be a greedy, selfish person. And what he's saying is your eye gives guidance and direction and worldview. And if in your mind's eye and your focus is, if I have enough money, if I could ever, in my Silicon Valley world, if I could go public, if I could get a great job, if I could ever own my own house, if we could get a second home, if I could get a really nice car, if I could go to the airport and have one of those little things that says Louis Vuitton, you know? If I had one of those watches where people say, you know, not a knockoff, this is a real Rolex. If I had a car, if I worked at, if, 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 then, 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 and he's saying, liar, 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 head on fire. It's a lie. It can't make you, it can't fulfill you. But that will cause your priorities to go down a path that will focus on things and money and not people and love or Christ. But he says if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. When, by the way, God's not against, I, I love when I meet rich Christians who are generous. They often are rich because God says, oh, when I give this to you, you just keep passing it on. So he just keeps giving them more. And they keep passing it on. Notice, though, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You know, what, what Jesus is saying is, it's not like you can have a, a God compartment. I come to church. I read my Bible now and then. I try to be a good person. And I come to youth group. But my money is over here. My finances are over here. He says, they're locked. One tells the story of the other. And by the way, it's so good to see you all in the service. Can I tell you something? Start now. The, the biggest financial commitment I ever made, I was late teens, in college, and there was a missionary in Japan. And back then, $5 was probably like 25 or maybe 30. I gave $5 a month to someone in Japan. And it started a practice of thinking outside myself that changed the course of my life. You don't have to have a lot of money. Set aside. Start now and become a generous person. And for some of you, you understand who you are. What you'll learn is 
yes, tithing's great. It's a great place to start. It's the training wheels. And then you'll, you'll learn about proportional giving. And as God gives you more, it'll be, wow, I can give 15%. Or I got a friend that just every year of his marriage, he upped it by 1%. And he said it was crazy. I ended up giving about 64% of my income, and my income was never lower the next year than it was the past year. Is God guaranteeing that happens? No. He's just looking for people to say, hey, people, could you just get it? I don't want your money. I want your heart. But, but, but hear this well. If God does not have your money, he does not have your heart. Let me say that again. If God does not have your money, he does not have your heart. In fact, if you took these four reasons and we were just logical people, I mean just logical, we would say, gosh, if generosity connects you to people and you're happier and you're going to live longer and, and Jesus warned about it and, and he wants us to have great joy, why isn't everyone generous? Two very important reasons. One, because wealth is powerful and deceptive. Remember the parable, the seeds that went into the four types of soil? Soil number three, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this world and the circle, deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, making it unfruitful. Money makes us independent and autonomous. James would say, poor people are rich in faith because they don't have any other option. They have to trust God. Rich people are low spiritually because we have to willfully choose to recognize I'm in desperate need of God for everything. And so I need to take the very first portion and say, God, this is yours as an indicator that not just the 10%, but the 90%. Not just the 22% that I get to give now, but the 78%. It is all yours, and I'm a steward of it. And I don't know if you have the definition of deceitful. Do you know what the definition is? It means the person that doesn't know you don't get it is you. The light within you. you I meet Christians every, I mean, half of, half of all the Christians and half all, uh, now I'm guessing this church is an absolute exception. Hope. But if, if, if you're a national average, half of the people in this church don't give anything. And about 85%, and I'm not talking to John. He might get mad at me for what I'm saying, but don't ask me back, John. <laughs> no, I love that young man. Um, if there's not a track record of giving and generosity, God doesn't have your heart. You're deceived. Here's the tragedy. The tragedy is, bam, that other God, it'll, it's, he's brutal. He'll take you in, promise you everything, and then he'll snuff you down. If money is what matters, your marriage will not be what it's supposed to be. You will not be the parent. You'll not be the young person. The desire and dreams you have for what your life could be and how it could impact people, it will not happen. In fact, the second reason goes right along with it. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. If there is no risk, there is no faith. The number one reason people don't give is you're afraid. You're afraid if I give first, I won't have enough for me. And that's why, what was the very first test of the ch children of Israel when they came out? It was manna. 
And, and how many days did they get to collect? Do you remember? One. So every day they went to bed going, I wonder if God's going to show up tomorrow. And what he wanted them to learn was, I show up every day, every day, every day, every day. And it's not magic. So if I want you to rest, I'll give you two days. You have to overcome your fear. And if you make that statement, my, my, what I would say to you, would you read the rest of this with an open mind, and then would you say to God, okay, I'm afraid. God loves it when we're honest. And, and, and you know, your words, you, you think for where I'm at right now, could we start with 6.5%? It means I'm going to have to get on a budget. It means I'm going to have to actually know where my money goes. Uh, it means if I'm married, I'm going to have to have a, a talk. And, and here's another one. For the next 30 days, this will change your life. Write down every single thing you spend for 30 days. You think you don't have enough money, you will be shocked where your money goes. I've done this a number of times, when, especially when I thought, God, I want to do this right now because I'm sure I'm really doing pretty good. And then I think, I spent that much money at Starbucks? Are you kidding? Or I spent, and you know, you'll go like, see, I got a subscription to this and to this and to this and to this and... And, you, and, you, and if you looked at it like that, you would say, does that really represent who I really am? No. But if you don't know where you're at, how do you ever change? And listen carefully. The goal, if you walk out of here going, I really feel guilty about how I use money. I'm a terrible person. <laughs> I, I wish, God, I'm so sorry. Stop it. This is Jesus saying, you want a crappy life? You want a great one. You want to be stupid? Sorry. Would you like to be a genius? Would you like to have joy? Would you like to be the kind of people that everyone wants to hang out with you? The kind of person that's like, well, I wish, they wish they were like you? How, how, can, how can you have this attitude? Because when God has your heart, you get to experience things that few people do. The average believer doesn't experience God's power and vivid answers to prayer and internal peace and joy that we all sing about. God does not dispense those things unless he has your heart. For the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might strongly support those whose hearts are fully his. Solomon's problem was he was half-hearted. Even if you made big mistakes, what's the testimony about David? David was a man after God's own heart. The concept I want to leave you with is breakthrough concept number one. This is what this message is all about. Generosity is the gateway to intimacy with God. I became best friends with John because I took care of his money his way. And God wants that for you. And uh, on, on the back, there's uh, three questions that I think you should ponder as you read this little book. Am I using the money entrusted to me in accordance with the owner's wishes? It's his money, right? Second, am I carefully keeping account of where all the owner's funds are going? I mean, I, I was good with John's checkbook, way better than mine. What are you doing with the money God's given you? And third, am I becoming best friends with the owner by the privilege and opportunity of managing his resources? And for some of you little over-the-top people like me, you have to balance being radically generous 
and joyful celebrations. Don't, don't lose the part of the story is, I gave a lot of John's money away, and I had a lot of fillets in a very nice restaurant. Paul would write to Timothy and says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, are you ready for this? Who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Lord, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper and we hold these cups in our hand and we ponder what you have done for us, Jesus, you who were rich became poor that we might become rich. Lord, as we hold that bread and we take this cup in just a few minutes, could we have a moment where your spirit would reveal to us whether you have our heart as indicated by whether you have our money? And God, then would you show every person in this room, what's the, just a baby step? Lord, you, you, don't, you never condemn, you convict to draw us near. So please speak in Jesus' name. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.